Two men talk about marriage. An interview with Jeremy Bell and John McCann. So I'm joined today by Jeremy Bell and John McCann, uh, the authors of a new book called Two Men Talk About Marriage. So thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is how did you come to actually write this book? Well, I suppose the, uh, like, um, uh, well, how do I put it? I would say the genesis of the of the book happened on a family holiday uh, in Jindabyne in 2014, where I was um, I just come back from the Philippines, and my family tries to get away for holidays um, in January. And we have a family friend who own a holiday house in Jindabyne. They very kindly led it to us, and so I just come back and I went away um, with my family, and uh, uh, the good doctor happened to come along, and. Uh, that good doctor is me. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Doctor Who. No, um, Jeremy decided. Uh, uh, well, my family invited Jeremy, and uh, Dad was out there writing his book. Jeremy was, I believe, just you were having a break or something. I have no idea what it was. Um, it came along, but um, I just um, uh, come back from the, the Philippines. I've been living in a in sort of very uh, atheistic household, and uh, the question of marriage and same-sex marriage and sort of other scandals in the church had been pushed home and I'd spent a lot of time thinking about, well, what sets marriage apart from every other relationship? Um, Why can't two people in love, um, whatever, sort of, and whoever can get married? And um, uh, at then, sort of the the defence of marriage had been that uh, What is Marriage, written by um, Sheriff Gerges, Ryan T. Anderson, Robert P. George, Oh, it was an eye-opener for me. Um, I really enjoyed uh, reading because I'd never seen anything written out so clearly and, and succinctly. But um, as I'd gotten to read it, um, I sort of I wasn't quite comfortable um, in, in using that argument to when people ask the question, naturally, okay, what happens if I'm, you know, a 60-year-old man, a 55-year-old woman, where clearly, or at least in the female side, clearly past ability to have children, we meet late in life, we get married, there is zero chance of having children, why are they allowed to get married? And we weren't comfortable, uh, or I wasn't comfortable um, with the answer, and I started speaking to and I don't know who Jeremy was, didn't know that he was doing his PhD in, in philosophy, and we got talking, and we both had the same issue uh, uh, with it, but nothing happened. We didn't merely say, hey, let's go and write a book. Anyways, as time goes on, you know that this issue got pushed even uh, even more and more. I would say the next next thing that really uh, got us going was uh, the Catholic Church released its um, booklet, "Don't Mess with Marriage," which we found was when you read it, it was really benign, very polite, and things. But the title, I just took one look at the title and was like, "No, it's the wrong message." People judge things by covers now. They don't read uh, the inside. They'll take one look at that and just think confrontational. So immediately I got on the phone uh, to Jeremy. This was June 23, uh, 2015, and said, look, can we since write our own? I mean, sure, we'd had our qualms about uh, sort of fans about infertility, but naturally never thought about writing it. So then we had a sort of a meeting session uh, or sort of writing discussion on July 6th. And then we officially said, right, now we're going to write. So we started writing on Saturday, July 11, 2015. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how we came to uh, to write the book, or at least get started. 
Uh, is there anything in particular, though? You, you were saying that, um, that the defence at the time was the Anderson et al. argument um, that was being put forward from the United States. Um, what exactly sets your book um, apart or makes your book a bit different to, to that argument um, that's being put forth? Um, what, what is it contributing to the conversation, I guess, that's different? One thing is that we try to make our book as personal as we can. Um, the title, Two Men Talk About Marriage, is partly supposed to reflect the fact that it is conversational and personal. Um, we include a lot of personal narrative in the book. And in particular, I should talk about my own story. Um, John is a cradle Catholic, but I'm not. I wasn't raised Catholic. I wasn't really raised Christian. My father is not, has never been a Christian. My mother is a Christian of a kind, but she didn't raise me or my brother um, to be to be uh, Christians in any way. I did go to a Christian school, but after the age of 13, I was consciously non-Christian, in some ways consciously anti-Christian. And although I had a brief period uh, early at university when I did consider myself Christian, I gave that up, um, roughly speaking, um, at the age of 20. And thereafter, I was a non-Christian for the better part of 11 years. And in that same period, um, for much of that period, I considered myself exclusively homosexual. Um, I hadn't before that point. I, I had an interest in women as a teenager and in my early 20s, I suppose, but for most of my 20s, um, up until close to my 30th birthday, I considered myself exclusively homosexual. I was in a same-sex relationship for the better part of five years. And at the same time, it was while I was still uh, homosexual um, that I first thought seriously about the whole marriage question. Um, and for a number of reasons... Um, I started to think at that period that actually the case for same-sex marriage was not nearly as strong as most people around me tended to assume. And I should go into some detail about that because it's relevant to the book. Um, in 2010, uh, middle of 2010, I was on holiday from my PhD. I did my PhD overseas, but I was back in Australia at the time. And same-sex marriage was just starting to become a biggish topic. And I thought, well, okay, I need to give it some thought. And when I did, my starting point was, okay, what's the difference between same-sex relationships, same-sex sex, and opposite-sex ones? And it immediately struck me, well, of course, heterosexual sex can lead to children, and homosexual sex can't. For the first time in my life, this really struck me as important. I thought this makes a fundamental difference between the two kinds of sex, the two kinds of relationship. I didn't immediately think, okay, this shows that homosexuality is unnatural, it shows that my own desires are intrinsically disordered or anything like that. But, to repeat, it did show me, as I thought, well, okay, there really is a difference and probably the marriage debate must have something to do with this difference. That was the beginning of um, an argument which is spelt out in this book, especially in chapter, well, chapters two and three of this book. Um, and the argument briefly is that, well, look, the, 
purpose of sex, the natural purpose, the natural meaning of sex is connected to procreation, children, and therefore homosexuality is disordered, as a Catholic would say. Um, it took me quite a while to reach that point, but to repeat, it did not take me all that long to reach the point of simply saying, look, okay, fair is fair. If marriage does have something to do with procreation, then that makes sense. There really is a difference between same-sex and opposite-sex relationships. Before I became a Christian, before I rediscovered an interest in women, which I did, in fact, only a few months after that first reflection. So the book is set apart by being personal, um, as John's already alluded to, it tries to be as non-confrontational as possible. Um, not an easy thing to do, and I won't deny we say some things in the book that will upset some readers, especially homosexual readers, if we have some, as I hope we will. And related to that as well, we've tried to make it very much a reflective book. Um, which in one way doesn't make it as easy to read as the Anderson et al. book. Um, it doesn't set out arguments that are easy to remember, that, you, that can be turned into slogans or even presented as slogans. Um, and, and I don't, in saying that, mean any disrespect to the Anderson book. It's a wonderful book, but we had written a somewhat different kind of book. We, we want people, whatever their position, to be drawn in to the book, to be drawn into thinking carefully and dispassionately up to a point about things that perhaps they've never thought about before. And, yeah, we don't actually get to the question about marriage and the meaning of marriage until really about halfway through the third chapter. And there's a lot of laying of the groundwork. We discuss the nature of love. We discuss sexual desire. We talk about nature in general, what nature is, how we understand nature, what does it mean to live in harmony with nature. We do all of that before we get to the marriage stuff. And again, we say very little um, about the whole question of what governments should do about marriage. This is something that I think is central to the Gerges and Anderson book. And again, rightly so, given what they're doing, we don't have any problem with that. But we address that question late in the piece. I would almost say incidentally, although that would be an exaggeration. I suppose that I, we sort of, when we had to... Uh, prepare and submitting a book for publication we had to look at other publications and see what they um, they did and how they approach things and for me just on a on a surface level what's different is particularly as Jeremy talked about earlier it's uh, the fact that we we're having a conversation with you and we start and I believe I hope we we start at a point which we all agree on which is um, which the opening indeed our opening line of our book is I love you which we all want to say and hear that and then we're starting from, well, whether detailed or not, but we're starting from that point of love and then leading on to sex and then what makes sex special and where that goes and leads you. We want you to really reflect and think. So I suppose on a, if I was to give like a superficial difference between the others, most other books we found tend to sort of say, okay, this is and this is the answer. This question, then this is the answer. This part, this is the answer. And we're we won't be we won't be like that at all. We'll be like we want you to read, draw in, go think deeply about this, absorb it, make it your own, and then once you've made it your own, please go out and, and share. But the whole point is is that we've people aren't thinking so much about sex anymore and what it means. People don't have time or don't really bother 
to think nowadays. Everything's so quick. And with the 24 hour news cycle, Facebook and things, most things are emotional reactions rather than this is something that really needs to be thought about. And that's why, in a sense, one of the reasons why we went this way. Now you've touched on this a little bit already, but I wanted to get you to speak a little bit about the arguments about marriage uh, at this point in time, of course, um, at the time that this is this is published, we may or may not have a federal government, I'm not sure, but um, none, nonetheless, nonetheless, um, I wanted you to speak about the arguments concerning marriage, given that this is such a big issue um, for the Australian people at this time. Okay. I think the major arguments that you hear in the media from the pro-sensitive marriage side revolve around equality and autonomy. And we're all familiar with these arguments. They're easy to understand and in a way they're quite plausible. People say, look, a man and a man or a woman and a woman can love each other, devote themselves to each other, have a happy life together in exactly the same way that the man and woman can. And if they want to, they can adopt children and raise them lovingly just as an opposite-sex couple can have children or adopt children and raise them lovingly. If you believe in equality, then how dare you deny the right to marry to same-sex couples. And likewise, if we believe in the freedom of the individual, look, even if you think that there's something morally objectionable about homosexuality, still you've got no right to expect others to have the same beliefs. So if you really respect the autonomy of couples, even if you don't approve of what they're doing, how dare you deny them the right to do what their heterosexual counterparts can do. Now, I would say that the simple answer to that question is that, um, to both of those questions, I should say, is that they both presuppose that it actually even makes sense to talk of homosexuals marrying. And what we try to show in the book is that there really is a good reason for saying that marriage is an institution that only makes sense between a man and a woman because marriage is fundamentally about children and therefore there's certainly no sense in talking about a violation of homosexuals' autonomy because no one has a right to do what it's physically impossible to do, much as they might want to do. A man and another man and a woman and another woman cannot have sex and thereby give birth to children. We argue that's morally relevant. Um, and as far as equality goes, well, again, there's no sense in complaining about the fact that nature, in one obvious way, has made these two kinds of relationship unequal, if you want to use that word. It's a simple biological fact that a man and a woman can have a child together, not always, but in principle they can, while a man and another man, a woman and another woman can't. Um, that brings me to the main argument that we make in Chapter 2, well, Chapter 2 and Chapter 3 of this book, um, which is about the moral authority of nature. Now, of course, plenty of people would acknowledge the law, right? In fact, I shouldn't say plenty of people. Everyone can acknowledge, yes, two men and two women cannot have children together in the way that a man and a woman can, but so what? That's just a fact of nature that doesn't really have any moral significance. Um, who cares? And what we're trying to do in the book, in part, is to encourage people to take seriously the idea that nature's arrangements do have a moral authority. This is a traditional idea, um, I would say in certain circles up until very recently, um, really up until the 1960s in, in Catholic circles, and there were very few Catholic thinkers 
um, who would have questioned this. One of the interesting developments in, um, in Catholic intellectual life post 1960s um, is the development of what's called the new natural law theory, which in a certain way eschews all appeal to nature as a moral authority. And again, the Anderson Gerges George book is a perfect instance of this. They say, look, we are not going to claim that the purpose of the reproductive organs is, well, reproduction and that therefore, etc., etc., etc. They claim that that's actually a bad argument. Without going into all the details, um, we disagree. And if you want the details, please buy our book. The, uh, the only other comment I'd make about prison arguments is that you often hear um, sociological arguments in favour of traditional marriage. And I think in Australia particularly, these um, tend to dominate the discussion. People say, look, if you examine the studies that have been done, you'll see that in fact it does children good by and large to be raised by a man and woman instead of by two same-sex parents. We don't mention those arguments at all in our book. And... There are a few reasons for that. On my side, um, first of all, arguments like that, I think, tend to be unconvincing, um, both psychologically and rationally, because the fact is there are real limitations to what any sociological study can tell you. And I think most people are aware of that at some level. And so you tell people statistics show X, Y, and Z. If they are already, for other reasons, strongly committed to same-sex marriage, they'll be inclined to think, well, maybe, but does it really matter that much? Maybe other studies will show something else. Maybe that study's flawed. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I think that arguments like that will go back and forth for ages and ages and will not get us anywhere. I also think that there's a real problem if you're a traditionalist about marriage and appealing to things like that in the first place because the whole point of being a traditionalist is that you think there is a certain wisdom in tradition. You think that institutions that have lasted for hundreds or thousands of years must have lasted because our ancestors actually knew a thing or two about life and life's realities. And of course, the people who created the institution of marriage that we know today in Australia did not do sociological studies. They hadn't heard of the word sociology. Um, And so if you appeal to the latest alleged findings of sociologists, What it looks as if you're doing is saying that this ancient institution came into being despite being unscientific, based on no good reasons, etc., etc. And if that's the case, that's deeply discomforting. Um, I think let's actually take a step back. Let's not try to be scientific in inverted commas. Let's just reflect on our own experience, on the people we know, the families we've seen, the history we can read, and... Let's see where that gets us before we start trying to treat human beings like lab rats, if I can put it that way. Oh, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'm just more, given more of like a personal level, is that um, a lot of the early stuff was the effect on, on children, and there's been lots of uh, debates um, in the media and anywhere I was reading um, saying that they're better off. And this study says, no, they're, they're totally fine. There's no difference. This study said, no, those studies are unquestionable. Then... Particularly um, what turned me off it completely was um, on uh, that wonderful social communication tool, Facebook. Um, It was a two-day argument that literally um, almost changed my entire approach to uh, defending marriage where this question came up and then we started saying, well, no, this study looks like this and this study looks that. And that's when a person came in and was writing on my wall, this study, this study. And I was like, well, I'm 
we could we just be yelling each other till we're blue in the face until that's when I thought, okay, that's not working. So from then on, I personally dropped it. Um, so I would say I came. My reasons for not using it was more found that it just didn't work, um, as opposed to a deeply reflective one, which is more Dr. Jeremy style. Um, but my, I just found it just practically it didn't work, mm. and no one was convinced. And it's like, well, your study says this, my study says that, back to neutral. Well, no one's gotten anywhere. You were mentioning um, just be- before the interview um, about actually that that experience that you had on Facebook, and that there's actually been a good development in a sense with with this book. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I'm quite happy. I mean, it was uh, I, look. There's there's always been um, friends on both sides of this issue, and um, sometimes we, we we spar lightly about it, but sometimes it actually got quite heavy. And uh, one day I got involved in a two day argument on on facebook and anyone who's ever got involved you know what that's like you're constantly going back to the computer and seeing what someone else has written then someone comes from the left someone comes from the right and then there's someone you don't know but's friends with someone who's friends with the person you're arguing with sees that then makes a comment and then you find yourself asking six different strands of thought on the one thing it's constantly typing away and you get a variety of opinions and i was using i was following more the sort of the ryan t anderson at all uh, argument and Eventually, it just got down to the point where uh, some people were writing in and saying, no, you just hate gays. And the other ones, you just do not under, understand. I'm like, I'm not actually reaching anybody here. And in, I ended up quitting because one of the, the people said, look, I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm going to make your laws in the future so you don't know what you're talking about. And his defense against my argument was is that I could take that and make it completely different. And, like, well, and I said, we'll do it. And then there's silence. It's like, well, we got nowhere. Um, what funny enough is that I hadn't spoken to a lot of those people um, since that, uh, since that famous or infamous debate. And they got back to me um, when I sort of posted on my wall that I've uh, written a, or co-authored, sorry, I should say, a book with Jeremy Bell. And everyone was positive. Not a single one. Like Jeremy had a friend uh, who said, look, I'm going to disagree with you vehemently, but... I'm sure it'll be well argued because I know Jeremy. And uh, I had someone who messaged me personally. I've had phone calls from people saying, look, congratulations on, on writing the book. Most of the people have said, look, um, I'll probably disagree with you. But everyone has said they're going to read it, which is really, really, really encouraging for, for us. But in particularly for me, in light of that experience, of saying is that this is what we wanted in the first place, is just to sit down civilly and let's talk and Hence, well, we've got a title. Let's talk about marriage. That's not the title. Too many talk about marriage, but that's what we want. No, that's good. That's good. That um, that shows that books are better than Facebook in the end. So, oh, yes, good message. Don't don't argue on Facebook. (laughs) It doesn't really get any. So, just before I let you go, John, you were also mentioning before the interview another thing that you mentioned was that there was, um, given that this the. You are both, of course, Catholics, um, and that you've both written this book, I believe, under the patronage um, of Our Lady. There's been a, a number of good things that have that have come forth from this book in relation that that Our Lady and the saints have been looking after you here. So, did you want to tell me a little bit about that as well? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd like to stress the book itself is not a religious book, and there's no appeal to religious authority or anything like that. But well, no, we are both uh, uh, practicing Catholics, and. Um, we did put write this book under the uh, uh, care and protection of Our Lady. And before every time we we wrote, uh, before we'd write, we'd say the rosary, and then we'd stop, 
uh, the rosary just before the finish. Um, the end, we'd always end with the memorare. We'd write, and then as soon as we'd finish writing, uh, we'd say the memorare and, and close. And it's kind of very interesting that um, uh, how sort of our book has tracked sort of both Marian dates and sort of special feast days. So the day we started writing was July 11th, um, which is the feast of St. Benedict, patron of Europe. And we see this as sort of a book necessarily helping Western uh, civilization. And we finished, uh, we got our book contract in May, which is the month of Our Lady. And um, it so happened through no design of our own um, that the first hard copies came out on June 27th this year, which was the 150th anniversary of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, or the icon, entrusting the icon to the Redemptist Order. And the image that we had always on the desk when we wrote was the image of Our Lady of Perpetual Hope. So um, somewhere out there, I suppose she's looking after this one, so we're not worried. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, of course, the, the launch of this book is going to be um, next Thursday, the 14th of July um, at the Cathedral Hall at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Parramatta um, at 7pm, I believe. Um, is there anything more that you want to add to that or have I pretty much... No, you've, you've covered yeah. the launch. There's there's one in Melbourne yeah. uh, as well um, on July 21 and that's at the Caroline Chisholm uh, Library. Is it not? And Brisbane, we're still waiting on. Uh, so we haven't got a, a venue yet, but we're hopeful we'll have one soon. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll put the details for those up on the website um, and try and promote them where we can. Um, so finally, of course, where can, where can you purchase this book? The Mustard Seed Bookshop is selling it. Um, it's published by Concord. You can, of course, buy it on Amazon. Uh, regrettably, at the moment, um, the author's names are not entirely correct on Amazon, but still you should be able to find the book if you search for our names or if you put the title into and talk about marriage. I'm not aware of other places it can be bought. but No, I mean, we've been advised that uh, several libraries will have it, so if um, you don't want to buy a copy, I suppose you could always... <laughs> Uh, there'll be some library Don't somewhere that'll people. have it. I'm not encouraging people, but... <laughs> We've been told that a year from now there'll be an electronic version. Excellent. Well, thank you both for, for joining me. Um, we continue to pray for the, for the success of the book um, and for, for um, I guess, your, your arguments contained therein and this continuing conversation um, that it is something that can bear fruit, that it won't be, I guess, the, the somewhat um, horrible experience that you experienced on Facebook, but rather a good conversation that people can go back and reflect upon um, and hopefully um, better our society. So thank you very much, both of you. No worries. Thank you very much. That was Jeremy Bell and John McCann with Two Men Talk About Marriage. For more details about the official Sydney book launch, visit the Diocese of Parramatta Family and Life Office website. And for more interviews, talks and shows, visit cradio.org.au.